0: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. You're listening to 88.9 FM, KUCI, Irvine. The opinions expressed on this program do not reflect the views of KUCI or the University of California, Irvine. Hey,
1: wake up. You can't dream your way into college. There are actual steps you need to take, steps that go beyond just getting good grades and staying out of trouble. Truth is, there's stuff you could be doing as early as seventh grade to start preparing. So if you're really serious about college, visit knowhowtogo.org. It spells out everything you need starting with step one, finding an adult who can help. For the rest of the steps, visit knowhowtogo.org today. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Lumina Foundation for Education and the Ad Council. Hey, you're listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine. Happy Monday, everybody. And before I bring my guest on, Suzanne Fenton, who was on briefly last week, I just want to share with you, because the theme of the show is Get the Funk Out, sometimes, you know, we get involved in our own problems, and they seem so huge, so massive, and there's nothing better than giving back this holiday season, going out and helping somebody else, and volunteering, whether you're helping to feed the homeless. You're just donating your time in a soup kitchen. And I noticed in yesterday's OC Register, there's a big section about giving. So if you missed it, yesterday's section, OC Register, it's called Open Your Heart. And it's all about different organizations uh, from, let's see, uh, Someone Cares Soup Kitchen in Costa Mesa to uh, Our House Transitional Living so many great organizations so if you're looking to give back this holiday season to do something to help somebody else that would be a great way to start you can probably go online to the OC Register or pick up yesterday's section again great way to give back get out of your own funk help other people and uh, again it's called open your heart all right it's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show Suzanne Fenton hey Suzanne Hi, how are you? Good. We had so much fun last week, I figured, I want you back. woo (laughs) Let's do it again. Let's do it. It was too brief, you know? It kind of flew by on my end. I know, I know. And, you know, one of the things we talked offline was, it's interesting how you and I, uh, we have this, you know, notion of we follow our gut, and I want to talk a little bit about that because you've been through all kinds of different ups and downs and funks, as have I, and we've talked about how sometimes you just wake up in the morning or you have this gut feeling like something isn't right. Could you talk about that a little?
2: Well, I think that, um, you know, if you, everyone knows the answer inside of themselves, mm-hmm. and listening to your gut is just sort of acknowledging that. Right. And I think, um, I mean, I had this sort of epiphany When I lived in Los Angeles, that I couldn't—I knew that I couldn't become who I wanted to be and who I needed to be if I stayed and just kept doing the same old thing and spinning my wheels and getting distracted by the scene and all these things. Mm -hmm. And I just knew, like, you know what? I got to mix this up. I got to go. I'm looking for my opportunity, and the opportunity happened, and I took it. But I knew that I had to listen, that, you know, you know when things aren't right, and yes. you can ignore them, but there's no point. You've got to. And sometimes listen. you're
1: just going out with your friends, and you're having drinks, and you're just kind of ignoring the signs, and you're thinking, well, maybe, you know, I'll just make the best of it, but it is best to kind of pay attention to those gut feelings.
2: Right, or at least explore them, mm-hmm. you know, take the time. Even if you have to, you make a list, you know, well, why why do I keep thinking this, or why do I keep having this feeling when I'm around that person? Yes. There's no reason not to. Life's pretty short, you know. Right,
1: (laughs) exactly. So how long had you been living in L.A.?
2: Well, I'm from Southern California, Mm -hmm. and I moved in 93 from Los Angeles to Minneapolis, which was... (laughs) Rather drastic, especially since I moved December 7th in the middle of the winter, which happened to be one of the coldest, (laughs) which I knew nothing about. But um, I, you know, I grew up, I went to school in Long Beach. So I was in California with the exception of traveling and doing a year abroad. I was in California until 93. And I had been in L.A. for about, but Long Beach is so close, you know. Yes, yes. um, L.A. proper for I think close to three years,
1: Two and a half three have three years. So you get off the plane in Minneapolis and you're freezing, saying, "What? <laughs> right in the middle of winter, I'm going to do this." But you yeah, found, you- well,
2: I think I had sort of made committed to that a little bit prior. Yes, so I wasn't quite so shocked. I, okay. I already knew I was going to do this. Okay, um, but it's really funny because my my son actually yesterday we we actually had our first storm. Of the season yesterday, and it snowed a, a, a foot, a little more than a foot right. in one day. And we, I was driving with my son, and he said, Well, what did you And it was really difficult. And he said, Well, what did you do when you moved here? And I said, Honestly, I remember, because I moved in December. Mm-hmm. He said, I remember driving, and it was snowing, and thinking, What am I doing? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Like, kidding? it was crazy. The whole thing was 180 degrees switch. But I was willing to do it because I knew that what I was living wasn't enough for me. You know, I was yes. willing to kind of take yeah. the chance, roll the dice. Right. And I said, no matter what happens, I'm going for one year. I don't care.
1: I love it. I mean, it is, it is the antithesis because culturally, you know, L.A. and the social life and all that. And then you go to Minneapolis and were you questioning yourself? Were you thinking, you know, I'm so excited, this is, you're very adventurous, so.
2: Well, you know, well, the adventure really was, I think, moving in the winter. I'll say. And um, but just not even being prepared. It's funny to me because uh, half my family lives in California. I do have a sister who lives here, and that mm-hmm. was, made it a lot easier for me to come and try it out, obviously. Sure, but when whenever my California family comes to visit me, they have no idea what cold is. Like, the way they dress and, right. you know, they think they know that this jacket <laughs> will help them or that these boots will help them, but they have no idea. This is a whole other level of, like,
1: cold. serious
2: weather violations, you know. It's crazy. But um, uh, I don't even remember the question. No, it's Sorry. okay, because I'm laughing.
1: This morning I was taking my daughter to school, and it, it's 50 degrees, and she's like, it's freezing, and I'm like... Sweetheart, I went to Syracuse where it was 40 below wind chill one year. You don't know freezing. <laughs> right. Well, today it's 12. 12, right. It's yeah. pretty cold, yeah. But it's sunny. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, 12 and sunny. It's probably beautiful.
2: It is. I'm looking out the window. Everything's covered in snow. It's yeah. Really nice.
1: It's a whole different uh, mindset. Did it take you a long time to adjust? Uh, some things, yes.
2: I mean, when I first moved here, I remember saying to my sister, I really need to go to a place that has really good soup. You know, I just want to go get get some soup. I was like, "Oh yeah, there's this one place," and it was this little bagel chain. And I was thinking, like, "Oh no, no, this is not what I had in mind." A little cup of you know right. chicken spatzol with carrots. <laughs> so there were food wise, it was it took years. Mm-hmm. It probably took a decade for um, Minneapolis to kind of catch up and get in a foodie scene okay. and. We were always right there whenever we thought, oh, this might work. Um, Culturally, though, I found the city to be offer even more than Los Angeles. I mean. Really? Yeah. I mean, because it's so accessible. You know, there's so much to do here. And theater is big and music and and the arts are so appreciated and easy to get to. Like, if there's a show you want to see, chances are you can probably buy tickets that day and go nice but it's not that way
1: Mm -hmm. in in Mm -hmm. LA at all I mean oh no not at all
2: you know and like parking every it was just so much easier and in fact everything was it like leveled the playing field every life was so easy here that it allowed me to start to you know open my mind to all different kinds of possibilities like okay now I'm here what should I do? You know.
1: Did you find? Let me ask you. Did you find that your whole creative self kind of opened up, or were you? Have you've always been a creative person, but did this open you up even more?
2: Um, I wouldn't say that at first. No, I think I was a bit into a little bit of sticker shock, um, mm-hmm. survival mode, but excited because it really was. I I mean, everything was new. And not only did I move to a new state and then suddenly had seasons, but I was living in the same city as my sister, who I hadn't lived with since we were in high school together. And and then I had met somebody, which was also another reason why I was thinking, yeah, let me, I'm going to go check this out. Mm -hmm. So then that was all new, too. So there was enough newness that was, just filling me up, and um, I think I think it took a little while till I got into a routine where I could start. I mean, I've all I would always write about things, but as far as you know, being consistent or painting or yes, yes. that kind of came depending on how I was feeling.
1: I right. guess. Now let's back up a second. For those who didn't uh, tune in last week, by the way, we're talking to Suzanne Fenton, who's calling in from Minneapolis. You're listening, hello, hello. Uh, you're listening to Get the Funk Out. And last week, we, we talked, maybe even offline about this. You went to Israel. I did
2: my year abroad in and, Jerusalem.
1: So I want to talk about different periods of your time. Were you in a funk when you went, or was that just you know, a period of time where you look a kind of of growth for you?
2: Well, it was definitely a period of growth, but I have to say when I look back on sort of that period of my life and a few years prior to that, I, um, had this, I had this travel bug, and it would seem like every couple of months I needed to go somewhere or do something, and I think in retrospect, it was probably that what I was trying to get away from something, you know, I think, I guess I wouldn't, didn't know what that was, but I was always looking for something more, and excitement and adventure, I was always curious, and I think probably I was trying to find out who I was.
1: Okay. You know? Yeah. And, and how did yeah, that go? But, how did that go, being in Israel?
2: Well, it was, I, I, I think I mentioned last week, it completely changed my life. I, went, I didn't really know anybody. Um, we had some distant family there who I did meet and get to know. I didn't speak the language. Um, Yeah. That's hard. I guess I don't mind that situation. I guess I'm looking at my life, and those kinds of things don't intimidate me as much. I I look at them more as sort of a potpourri of possibilities. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really was life-changing in so many ways. But there are things that happen to me now when I look back and I see, oh, I learned that there. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: You know, I learned how to... You know, fend, not fend for myself—but in situations where you know you just have to stay tough and strong. Because right. I think no matter where you go, if you go to another con- any country, for a whole year, there are ups and downs, and there are times when you say to yourself, "Oh my gosh, what am I doing here? Sure, like how sure. I have to go home. This is—it's too far away, or this is—it's yes. too difficult." And and at the time. The simplest things were kind of hard there. I mean, even just making a phone call. I mean, it's changed a lot, but
1: right.
2: it was just another time.
1: And so did you know you were going to go for a year? Yes. yes. Oh, you did?
2: Because okay. I did. Uh, that was my, my study program.
1: All right. All right. Yeah. That's and amazing. And I've been back
2: many times since in and, and a variety of different, you know, either as a visitor. My work that I started doing in Minneapolis took me back there many times mm-hmm. um, or just... I volunteered Mm -hmm. when I went back there, so it's been a big part of my life, and it started with the year abroad, and I'm still in touch with many of the people I met on that during that one fabulous year.
1: That's great. You know, I've actually done some traveling on my own, and as scary as it is or, you know, it's very uncertain at the time, it's a great thing to do, especially, I think, for a woman to either live alone, travel alone, and it's good. You get out of your comfort zone. You do. You, know? you
2: see really how, and you also see how strong you are. And I don't think without life's tests, how would we even know that?
1: That's right. And I, I don't think I wanted to be someone who years from now was going to say, you know, I wish I had lived alone, or I wish I had gone here or there by myself or experienced that. I mean, I spent uh, a couple weeks in Colorado. I must move there. And I remember it was a massive snowstorm. And I was skiing at one point, and I was doing all these things, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm all by myself." But I kept meeting people from all over the United States, and it was so, it was great.
2: Yeah, and that's the same thing when you're traveling around Europe. You're never you're never really alone until you are. You are alone at some point, and then you you can feel it. You're
1: just right, like, right.
2: Ah. But <laughs> then you pull out your journal.
1: That's right. That's right. <laughs> then you grab
2: a, a cocktail in your journal. <laughs>
1: and you're all set
2: <laughs> yeah until you meet someone
1: else that's right i i did this run i don't know if you heard of it it's in uh, boulder colorado called the boulder boulder and it's um i think it was a uh, 5k or what i don't know what it was i can't remember but i remember going um the night before to dinner with i had met some people and that was great and they were going to be in the run and the next day i met all these women from like nebraska i had never met people from nebraska and they were the nicest people and then I met some other people from, you know, another state I had never been to. And it was it was really great. I mean, I just felt completely open to, you know, meeting people. And I didn't feel unsafe at all.
2: Now, do you feel like that was more rewarding than the Internet? Because now people just do it all online. And you were doing it
1: in the flesh. Oh, i much rather do it one-on-one. Yeah. Much rather. Because um, there's nothing, you know, it's like... Um, I don't know if you get like this. Sometimes I, you know, I, I'm supposed to go to a party or I'm supposed to be somewhere and I think, you know, oh, I don't really feel like going. And then I go and I have the best time. And you, it's really important to make those face-to-face connections because the Internet and all this technology has made it very impersonal.
2: Right. We're, we're like more and more removed from each other. Right. And it's a lot more difficult to actually know what's going on with anyone in your life.
1: hmm as my husband says, because he doesn't text, he's like, you know, all this emailing and texting, it's so impersonal.
2: And it is. I like letters. I'm so happy to get a postcard, I can't even oh, tell you. That's I don't even great. care where it's from. I don't care if it's from the dentist telling me <laughs> that I have an appointment.
1: You're funny. No, it is true. I mean, writing letters is, you know, so old school that people don't do. Or even it a thank you. They, people send thank yous via email. I'd much rather get a card. I know. You know?
2: we got to we got to bring that back. I agree. I mean,
1: I forget, my handwriting is awful, but um, I joke with my kids that some of the most brilliant people have the worst handwriting.
2: <laughs> you should get it analyzed.
1: <laughs> Would show that I'm in a rush half of the time in the sleep. Huh? It's, it, uh, this girl's never in a funk. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about, um, if you want to share some things. Growing up, you, you spent some time doing some unusual stuff. You... You worked, um, was it a psychiatric unit? I did. How did with you? Mu- with multiple personality patients. What, what made you, how did you land in that arena? Oh, boy.
2: Um, well, when I was going to college, I took a job. Actually, my mother's cousin was the physician at this, private mental hospital. Mm-hmm. And he knew I was a psych major and he said, Hey, you know, maybe you want to come down and see if, if they're hiring. So I first couple years in college I worked there with adolescents, mostly like substance abuse and this mm-hmm. and that. And then when I was when I graduated, I started getting an idea of like, you know, I really love art I feel like, you know, psychology is kind you know, sort of second nature to me. It does, I guess I sort of have a knack for it. Mm -hmm. So maybe I should try and combine the two in some way, shape, or form. So I went back to the hospital, and they said, yeah, now, we don't need anyone to do that, but we have this new unit opening up. Um, There's only one other one in the country in Colorado, and this is just for multiple personality patients and patients who have dissociative disorder, which is... What is that? eh, It's, honestly, everybody sort of has it. It's like when you dissociate, when you, like, sort of leave. You you know, people do it all the time. Like, you zone out, I would call it, but, Mm but they zone out to a point where they don't really have any kind of consciousness of what's been going on. Okay. And they can maybe do things that are unhealthy or not good for them, and they don't remember it. Okay. So it's I guess it's a step before multiple personality uh, being multiple personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I went, and that I would say besides Israel, the three things that changed me the most in my life were going to Israel for the year, working in this crazy place, mm-hmm. and and then moving to Minneapolis, and all um, I would say all of them made me. A lot stronger and opened my eyes to the world in a lot of different ways but the working on that unit for mm-hmm.
1: three years that's a I long time say, that is a long know, time
2: it, it's a long time mm-hmm. and it you know and i think it damaged me i mean i think that's the one thing that changed me in a way that i'm not sure if if it was more positive than negative i think you know, it opened my eyes in a way to things that, with the other two experiences opened my eyes to things that were, were different and um, inviting and challenging and um, could be positive. Mm-hmm. This opened my eyes to a, really a world of, the, of abuse and um, tragedy that I really knew nothing about because my life did not resemble it at sure, all. Sure, sure. So that was, uh, you know, that sort of had a cumulative effect
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and where I kind of,
1: you know. It's very heavy. I mean, you could take that home at night. It's not like you just. Oh, yeah. You had to
2: take it home at night. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'd go back and, you know, where you could make strides and you feel, you know, there was a sense, some sense of fulfillment. And Mm -hmm. I knew that, I mean, I knew I was good at what I did, but it's. I don't think, I think it was kind of a heavy price. Like, I really got kind of paranoid, and I also started sort of distrusting people. Mm -hmm. and, um, And then when you work in mental health, you realize, well, the patients aren't the only ones. That have, like, a, right. a slew of issues. I mean, they have issues, for sure, and they have reason to have issues. But, the, you know, the professionals, a lot of people get into mental health because they have their own issues that they've never wanted to deal with.
1: Interesting. So the whole
2: thing was, like, pretty Oof. pretty crazy. I, I give
1: you a lot of credit. That's pretty intense for three years.
2: Oh, and can I just add one thing, which was Go ahead. Nobody, nobody was doing anything like this. And nobody could really understand it because the stories, you know, of course, confidentiality, but Mm -hmm. I may relay something to somebody just because it happened and I kind of, you know, I needed to process it Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and
2: people couldn't even believe it was real. Like they just, so I was sort of alone Mm -hmm. in this journey because nobody could relate, nobody could believe it. And also at some point, you know, people don't really want to hear it because it's, it's not like
1: pleasant news party but, yeah, yeah. like let's party <laughs> of course um, of course how did how did you deal with um not getting in your own funk in all this or maybe you did i mean did you have some kind of outlet that you'd co- go home to or something you would do to keep yourself you know sane
2: well, well to be honest um during this time i would say my outlet was an unhealthy relationship
1: mm.
2: you know it's like interesting you know like you you need an outlet and and because this period of my life was sort of you know darker and right. had all these undertones i think i was attracted to that yes. a little bit
1: yes a dark relationship so all the way around it was not kind yes. of keeping and, you, th- yeah and hence
2: why i decided to finally leave you know
1: yes.
2: um yeah that kind of brought me down it was a bit of a spiral mm-hmm. and And I think I also, at the same time, started to lose sense of, you know, who I was because I was taking on all this other stuff. And then I was trying to manage, you know, when the lines get so blurred, you know, when you're in it sort of, if there's a sort of a toxic atmosphere, the lines start to blur. And then the worst part is when you start to question Mm -hmm. yourself, you know, like, well, is it me? Am I the one who's... Yeah. At fault here. And so.
1: I know, you start thinking, well, maybe it's me. Maybe it's not him or her. I know.
2: Instead of realizing you were just totally manipulated.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Or they're all messed up and they're messing you up. They're causing you to be messed up and it's not healthy. No, I totally understand. Yeah.
2: So it was the thing that did keep me sane is during that period, I would say, at some point, I realized, okay, I need to. I'm I'm going to leave here. This is not what I want to do. Um, and in the meantime, I'm just going to be sort of looking for material mm-hmm. for when I want to um, do something creative with this. So me, that kind of, it gave me some sense of this is not a total waste of time. You know, yes, I can, yes. I'll use this one day. That's, right. That was my attitude. I will use That's all good. of this one day.
1: I like that. No, it's Thank it's you. true, you know, because... Um, You know, I don't know if you're like this. I think you are, but I've had things. I hope I am. Well, I think you are. I I was sharing with my daughter a story I wrote about, um, do you have pets? I don't remember if you have animals. Do you have any cats? Okay.
2: That's not a good idea.
1: Not a good idea? Oh. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I actually found a cat years ago in uh, Winchester, Massachusetts, and I was... I was going to adopt a kitten and this scrawny, gross looking kitten that had been outside starving ran into a building and anyway, I ended up adopting this cat and he was adorable. And um, over the years, I ended up adopting a cat from a shelter and um, the cat died, the, the second one. And it was so sad. It was so tragic for me. I'd never lost an animal. And I wrote about it because I always felt like if something has happened to me, I should write about it. I always kept journals growing up. I always loved creative writing. Anyway, I read this story to my daughter over the weekend, and she couldn't. She's like, "Is this true?" And I said, "Yeah, my cat actually did. Used to catch things with his paws, and he actually used to eat spaghetti." And he, you know, and you you, you write stuff, you put it away, and you forget about it. And it's it's such a nice memory to bring back.
2: Of course, and you would never like this. If I was to ask you, hey, tell me the story about your cat today. You would probably forget so many of those details, and I you had. Yes. At least yes. you have an archive.
1: Yes, I had forgotten a lot of the details, and I couldn't believe. I'm so. I was so glad. Well, it was fresh in my mind that I wrote this story because um, I never would have remembered all this.
2: Oh, can I just tell you something that just happened? Go ahead. So I was going through. You know, I I never get rid of anything. We talk about writing, right? But yes. I also don't really go back and read it mm-hmm. like I should. And I was digging through some stuff, and I found this old journal, like Calico cover, you know. so I knew it must have been really old. Uh-huh. And I opened it up and I read it, and it was a journal I kept when I graduated from college. Um, a girlfriend and I traveled to Mexico, uh-huh. a girl that I had actually met in a Spanish class. And we traveled, and we met another friend and her boyfriend there. But I, I guess I decided I'm going to journal my entire um, college graduation trip. Wow. And I know. <laughs> it, like I, First of all, I didn't even know I did that. And then not only did I read it, but I started reading it to my husband. And we were laughing so hard, and I was thinking, okay, first of all, it was a good idea that That's I did great. this, because I would have never remembered any of it.
1: Right.
2: But um, – Oh, it was just, it was a gas. And I do, um, oh, and then I immediately thought this was before I went to work in the um, mental hospital. Mm-hmm. And then I sat there and I said, oh my God, was this the way I used to be before the <laughs> hospital? I had compared the two. Interesting. So, so hopefully that
1: wasn't completely squelched. Your whole mindset. We're going to take a quick break, Suzanne, and then we'll be back uh, in just a few minutes, okay? Okay. So hang tight. You're listening to Get the Funk Out. We're joined by Suzanne Fenton. We'll be back in just a few minutes. i your host, Janine, and uh, if you've missed any part of today's show, it'll be up on my blog in a few hours, and I'll be back in just a little bit.
0: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You must be your fairy godmother. In the classic fairy tale, Cinderella's dream comes true because the glass slipper fits. It In our world, the right fit can be just as important. Good heavens, child. You can't go in there. Especially when it comes to car seats. Always choose a car seat that's the right fit for your child's age and size. Oh, that does make a difference. To make sure your little pumpkin gets there safely every time. Happy New Year. Thank you. Remember, you're responsible for protecting your children. Their happily ever afters are in your hands. For even more information about choosing the right car seat, visit safercar.gov slash the right seat. This message has been brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, UCI students. Feeling stressed from midterms, school, relationships, even graduation? Do you have a friend who might be struggling with depression, an eating disorder, grief, or an abusive relationship? Then come out to our annual Friends Helping Friends Certificate Program presented by the Peer Educators. In this workshop series, we will present 12 of our workshops, which will be held every Tuesday and Wednesday from 7 to 8 p.m. at the Student Center. You'll get great tips and resources on how you can lead a happier and healthier life for yourself and your friends. Once you attend at least five out of the 12 workshops, you'll be honored and given a certificate during a banquet at the end of the quarter. All workshops are free, so don't miss out on this great opportunity. For more information, please go to www.counseling.uci.edu. Wow, yeah, since the storm, it's been crazy busy for us. We got all kinds of office desks coming in. Now, here's a, a fancy one right here. It's missing a leg, but that's all right. Whatever. Washers and dryers from a laundromat. Oh, wow, check this out. Another deep fryer and I'm not sure what this doohickey is. Yeah, most businesses weren't ready for a storm like that, you know, but our work's really piling up here at Roberts and Sons Salvage.
2: What will become of your business after a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now, before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council.
1: Hi there, you're listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine. We're going to bring Suzanne Fenton back on. just want to tell you about a couple of organizations that are looking for support, some support this holiday season. As I mentioned earlier, yesterday's OC Register has a whole section on this holiday season and giving uh, great organizations. Suzanne, we're just going to, um, I'm just sharing with the listeners a little bit about some organizations that are in need this holiday season. I don't know if you do some volunteer work from time to time. Uh, the listeners, a couple things before we get back in.
2: Great. Can I hear it? Or Oh, I- yeah.
1: Oh, good. So, there's an organization I helped feed the homeless with my daughters and my husband a couple years ago. And uh, they're having a uh, Christmas celebration this Sunday at 3 o'clock here in Santa Ana. And what they did was a couple years ago is um, a little girl's birthday. And they asked for also uh, donations of toys. And uh, I'm going to post this. Well, actually, I did post it on my blog, which is Get the Funk Out Show. And the organization is called iCareForYa.org. And they're doing a toy drive. Uh, They're trying to raise about 100 gifts for the kids uh, by this Saturday. So if you're interested in doing some kind of toy donation, they're also looking for pots and pans for the moms to do some cooking. Um, Again, some of these families are homeless. Some aren't, but again, they're looking for toys. Um, and if if you want to find out more details, I know it'll be on the website, ICareForYou.org. And there's one more, and Suzanne, you've probably heard of this organization, uh, Jewish Federation and Family Services. They, Absolutely. Yeah, they do an uh, Adopt a Family program. I was reading this to my kids because, you know, sometimes you really, you and I were talking about this, We all get in our funks. We think our problems are the biggest and they're overwhelming, but you really have to put things in perspective. There's so many people without work or who have, you know, some issue going on, health issue. How about without food? They're without food. So there's, um, I believe, three, I know there's three families that uh, the Jewish Federation have, you know, taken in this holiday season. They do this every year. I'm just going to read this quickly. There's a a 38-year-old Jewish single mother of a 13-year-old daughter, and they're seeking financial and emotional support. The mother has has stage 4 breast cancer, and her prognosis is poor. She was abandoned by her husband, does not receive any assistance for the care of her daughter. They have very little money for the holidays. Another family, it's a 45-year-old Jewish man. They've come to uh, Jewish Federation of Family Services. They seek some financial assistance. They have a 15-year-old daughter. Uh, they're just renting, you know, two bedrooms in a private home. They, the dad's out of work. Uh, they're on food stamps. There's another one, a single mother of a 20-year-old son. There's no father in the picture. The family came to California five years ago with two jobs waiting for the mother in field in the field of psychology, and the mother's health began to deteriorate, and she was diagnosed with very aggressive Parkinson's disease. She's also suffered three strokes. So, if you want to help, that would be fantastic in some way. Again, these are both nonprofits. This is familieservicesoc.org, and the other one is ICareForYou.org. If you have any uh, questions about this, you can always email me at Janine J-A-N-E-A-N-E at KUCI.org. All right, we are back with Suzanne Fenton. Thanks for calling in, by the way.
2: Oh, you're welcome. I'm so I'm so sad just thinking about all those families.
1: It's unbelievable. And I was telling uh, my kids, uh, we were celebrating Hanukkah, and I was saying, you know, I know everybody gets so, you know, carried away with this holiday season with presents and this and that. And I said, you got to put things in perspective how, you know, one toy that you might want or, you know, some iPhone that another kid might want. Think about how much food that would, you know, benefit for a family.
2: Absolutely. You know. And or just like from day to day, at any at any time, like, you know, let's say I'm having an okay day or any kind of day or even a great day, and mm-hmm. I can stop, and at any of the friends I have, I can think about one of them and know that, well, they're not. You know, this yes. one's going through a divorce. This one's mother, is, you know, right. is sick. You know, you just, it's all around us, yes. and it's easy, you know, to just keep, Plugging ahead and not stopping to think about the people, just the people in our lives. I mean, there's people all across the country suffering, but even just the people we know—that's right, you know—that's right—are having hard times. Uh, you know, ups and downs, and um, and of course, you know, as we get older, and then, I mean, I hate to be a total buzzkill, but people start dying, no, and it's know. just like,
1: wow. Ah. Or as you went through, you have a family member, had a family member, um, sadly, who passed away, and he had Alzheimer's, right?
2: Yes. And that was, he died last, um, Valentine's Day, actually. Oh. And that was, um, that was, you know, three years of ups and downs. Um and one of the tragedies about that is he didn't actually have, like, classic Alzheimer's, you know, where they totally forget who you are and all this. Mm-hmm. He he had, an, he had Alzheimer's that affected a different part of his brain. So he, up until almost the very end, he, you know, it, it still knew who I was. And, of course, he was completely deteriorating. I mean, as soon as you put someone in a home, they start to sort of go quicker. He, my mom was the caregiver for a long time. This, this had been sort of, he'd been showing signs for
1: about 10 years, but, um, that's a long time.
2: It's a long time, but I would say, uh, so she placed him, uh, well, he died in February. So, you know, almost three years before that, Mm -hmm. two and a half, three years. And, and the, the just the worst part was that actually the the recognition was there, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know which is worse, honestly, if somebody doesn't recognize you or if somebody does and they're still locked in this body and still unable to,
1: yes. you know, get yes. out. You know, yes. they never
2: want to be there. But um, so this this was such an emotional journey. This is my stepfather who had actually been in my life since I was nine mm. and um, a huge part of my life and sort of changed the course of my family's life because he appeared at a time when uh, my mom, you know, single mother raising three girls and was it was chaotic and um, so I really credited my stepfather with bringing uh, sort of a calm
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. or calmer yeah.
2: um, state of being to our lives and also a better quality of life and and just on and on and on from there so That's he was great. a huge part of my life and then When he went um, into the home, uh, which is actually in Costa Mesa, Mm -hmm. so not too far from you, um, I had all these emotions, and as he was starting to decline and decline, I'm a very emotional person, and I just, when when he died, I had, there were so many things I needed to, I felt like I needed to talk to my mom about, and there was so much happening, and I could. The one person who I needed, you know, and mm-hmm. needed to talk to and needed to everything from was the one person that I couldn't go to because she was, you know, suffering of course, worse, of course. Than I was, but suffering in a completely different way where I'm so emotional, she's more of a like shutting it all down. Mm-hmm. So overall, I would say last year it was, you know, it all kind of came to a head, and then we had a memorial and I had to speak, and I was just, I mean, I think about it now, my kids watching me up there and just sort of bawling. I mean, I tried to keep it together, but... Um, it's so
1: hard. It's kind of impossible.
2: kind of yeah. impossible, and yeah. I was always the person who, when I'd be at a funeral and I'd see a family member up there, I'd say, how on earth can they be up there? I could never do that. I could <laughs> never, and yeah. then my sisters and I, we all spoke about him, and and I'm only telling you this because it was such a completely emotional time and I felt so clogged because for really going on at least two years, if not more, I had all these emotions and, and all these things were coming up, you know, mm-hmm. from all different directions from childhood and and I had no place to put them. And I, and I felt clogged because all I wanted to do was talk about them and I couldn't talk to the person I wanted to. Ugh. so. I'm giving you that little backstory because the memorial was in April, sort of middle of April, and um, the end of April is when I got the clot in my neck.
1: Yes, and I want to talk about how did you how did you know something was wrong?
2: Well, I I think one thing is that because I had all I, I had so much inside of me, I was pouring a lot of my energy into tennis, like as an outlet.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I was just playing more and more, and I almost think I was becoming manic about it just as a way to deal with something, you know, keep physical, you know, have keep moving, keep right, moving. Right, And I was playing, and we were... Um, and then I noticed, I think I mentioned, that I looked at myself in the mirror, and I had these big green veins going down across my chest, down one arm, and then my arm very purple and...
1: And you didn't run to the doctor?
2: No, I did not run to the doctor. I ran to my next tennis match. And I continued to play. Not only did I play tennis matches, but I went to drills and I, even the day before, I think one of my last matches, I went and hit with a ball machine. Like, like I was the Hulk. I had this huge... A huge side of my body, and and I was just like beating up on this ball, and I just think that I had all this stuff inside me,
1: yes.
2: Um, and I think that I was like a human clot. That's what I, I think the clot in my neck was symbolic for me being so emotionally sure. Um, I can just say clogged. You know, yes, I wanted yes. to get these things out, and I and they weren't coming out. Yes. And it and it showed up as a blood clot in my neck and down my arm. And and then I think where we left off last week was I was in the ER.
1: You know, you were unbelievable. Did, did you tell your husband, I think something's wrong? Or you just kind of <laughs> schluffed it off, like, eh, I'll well, deal with it another I mean, time?
2: The beauty of my husband is that he, um, he just doesn't really get riled up about anything mm-hmm. at all. So... Had I shown it to my sister or a friend, like I I have a girlfriend who's a pharmacist who actually I played tennis with, but we hadn't been in the same places, and she said, if you would have shown me this, I would have had you in a week ago. So, uh, you know, everyone, he saw there was something wrong, and we both were like, yeah, that's really weird, but nothing hurt, and it was only when... I I started getting pains in my armpit. So I Mm. think the clot was starting to really back things up. And that's when, and actually, I should say, I said, I'm going to go to urgent care. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I went to urgent care. I said, I think I have a blood clot. I need you to give me an ultrasound. And they said, "Um, We don't do ultrasounds here. You need to go to the ER. And it was a Saturday at like 5 o'clock, and I had all my kids at home. And I started driving like I was going to go to the ER. And I okay. turned around. I'm like, you know what? I'm not, going, I'm not going to spend the whole Saturday in an ER when all my kids are at home. And then I drove home.
1: Look what we do as moms. I know. I, I have things to do. I have to go make dinner and hang with my family, and I don't have time. Well, I was like, well, you know, I haven't iced it. Let
2: me just ice it. Let me take some ibuprofen, and if it's still bad, I'll go on Monday. Crazy. But, of course, I wasn't sleeping because I absolutely knew. I had already known for a week that there was something wrong with me.
1: Ugh we put things off. We're like in denial, you know?
2: Well, denial kind of protects you in a way, but then it, beca- you know, then it has a detrimental effect if yeah. you wait too long. Right. And that's emotional or physical. So
1: what, then what happened when you finally, you know, face fact okay. that, So you know,
2: they, so in the ER, I, you know, that's when they said, oh yeah, you have thoracic outlet syndrome, which is pretty rare. And I don't know if I mentioned that. It's a lot of um, athletes who do repetitive overhead motions mm-hmm. get it. And, and the guy, actually the sand volleyball player in the Olympics had it too. Um, and then they told me, yeah, you're gonna, you'll probably have to remove your rib. And, and then I was, totally went into a whole new cycle of denial.
1: Mm.
2: And after being on ICU where they busted up the clot, then they put me on blood thinners and said, you'll come back in a month and we'll check, we're will we going to check your veins again and see how you look. Just don't play tennis, don't swim, don't do anything, don't use your arms over your head. So in my mind I thought, okay, well, this isn't too bad, so in a month I'm going to play tennis again. Sure. I mean, I really thought I just don't have to play for one month, and I just am going to be on these blood thinners, which I didn't even question, but, they're, you know, it's like rat poison, these uh. blood thinners. They're super intense. And um, good, that's what I'll do. And then I went back thinking everything was going to be honky-dory because I followed protocol. Mm-hmm. And I went back and they're like, nope, it's still pinched off and you're going to have to have your rib removed. And I was like, what? but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> and then I started doing like a second opinion and a third mm-hmm. opinion. I saw so many doctors and, uh, and um because you just have to work through this process. Of course, you know you you get to where you need to be when you are ready, and it's very hard for me to let go of anything. And so it took it took about three months until Ugh. I was ready to say. Oh, and then I had another procedure, and the same thing happened. I waited a month, and I went back there like, "Yeah, no, it's this is you have to have your rib removed."
1: So scary. So.
2: Eventually, I did, and it was like, let's see, like three procedures later, and then August 1st, they removed my rib, but once I made the decision to do it, mm-hmm. and and this was such an emotional time of, you know, being in different parts of the country and being on the phone with all kinds of different doctors and trying to, and everybody had, you know, everyone does a different procedure and a different entry point, and, you know, sure. and then one person is like, you know, you, you won't drive. You should have done this. One person scared me. He's like, you should have done this three months oh, ago. Oh come on! And you can't drive, and you know, just the fear of God. And um, let me ask you one, though,
1: how in oh, the world do you decide who the right person for the job is when you're they're all coming at you with different opinions?
2: Well, that is the most difficult part because mm-hmm. you think you know, and then you go and you speak to somebody, and then they tell you. Um, like there's two different ways like one person will operate under your armpit mm-hmm. to remove your rib someone operates through your just behind your clavicle one is in front of your clavicle and then it, it kind of boils down to who do you trust
1: of course and who do
2: you feel more comfortable with mm. and at the end after being driving all over and meeting with all these different doctors at the very end it was I went with the the one who told me upon meeting me, yeah, you're going to have to have your rib removed. Yes. Who I hated just because he was the person who was giving me this information. Yes. But I ended up going back to him and thinking, you know, it's right by my house. I've had all my children at this hospital.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, he's not a slacker. He, he wasn't doing anything wrong by telling – he just didn't have a good bedside manner. Yes. And um, And I went with him, and it was – It couldn't have been better. Well, you just had, but it took a long time to get to that place.
1: Well, you had to also trust your gut. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You just have to go with what you you know. You did your homework, you did your research, and you went with your gut. Yeah,
2: and Mm -hmm. I had a good. I had a good team along the way. One thing I learned is is you know, a lot of people want to help you. You Mm -hmm. know, a lot of people. I mean, I felt really sort of loved and supported, and people I hadn't i spoken to since I worked, you know, in the 90s that I felt like I could pick up a directory, call them out of the blue if they were a certain kind of doctor mm-hmm. and say, hey, can you give me a recommendation? Can you get me in here? Can you get me in there? And um, And at the end of the day, you're right, it all comes down to a decision has to be made and mm. what feels right. Yes. And the second I scheduled the appointment, I was just like... 10 pounds lighter i was like
1: That's
2: I great just, i just had to, i had to make a decision That's you know not great. making a decision is
1: pretty stressful I, absolutely absolutely any bit of advice for people who are in a funk i mean you've touched on so many different funks you've been in but any bit of advice because we're going to wrap up soon
2: hmm, well i would say i know for me i was told that um being in my body, you know, being active, physically active is really helpful. Mm-hmm. I, I love to dance. Anything that gets you sort of out of your head right. that feels good, bike riding, running, um, and and doing something outside yourself, like you're talking about volunteering. Yes. I mean, the second you start thinking about other people
1: yes.
2: instead of yourself, yeah. you know, all of a sudden the funk goes away. Right. Even if it goes away just for a little while, if you're... You know, do something for someone else um, exactly, or treat yourself in a way that is going to, you know, feel like a gift and that you, you deserve it. Um, I like to write things down to get them out of my, I think, gosh, if, I, if I'm thinking it, but I put it out on paper, then it's not in my head anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so you know, true. And dance.
2: Go yeah. out dancing.
1: Or Can't cr- hurt. crank up the music in your house and dance. Yep. <laughs> my kid's great. It's just so freeing. So Suzanne, I want to thank you again for calling in. This was really fun. Thank you. And uh, if you've missed any part of today's show with Suzanne Fenton, you'll be up on my blog in just a bit, maybe in a couple hours or by, I'd say by noon. I really enjoyed chatting. Thank you so much for sharing all of your stories. It was very yeah.
2: I'm happy to do it, and happy holidays, everyone.
1: Thank you, thank you, and I will be in touch with you. Okay. Have a great day. Bye. Have a, have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out. That was my very special guest, Suzanne Fenton, calling in from Minneapolis. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know somebody who might be a perfect fit, you can send me an email to Janine, that's J-A-N-E-A-N-E, at KUCI.org. And if you missed any part of this show or other shows, they're all up on my blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.KUCI.org. Coming up next, Sheldon Abbott, Cure for the Blues. Have a great Monday, everybody.